I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a special run of guest-hosted episodes of I Was There Too, the show where normally I talk to people who were there in the great and interesting moments of film history. But for the next two months, I'm stepping aside to let a handful of special people take over the hosting duties, because I'm off getting married and honeymooned. So I'll be back directly. But until then, this run of shows, both in the guests as well as the hosts, will be some really really great stuff. How do I know? Because I know who the guests are, and I know who the hosts are, and I will be listening to the interviews as they come just like you, and I can't wait. So today, I give you my friend Maria Blasucci, and if all goes as it's supposed to while I'm on this break, my now lovely wife, Amanda Lunn, talking to Jack Greenwich from Rebel Without a Cause, Spartacus, King Creole, and more. Stay subscribed to I Was There Too, and write a review of this show on iTunes if you can. And if you ever want to dig back into the archives to hear great episodes like Jeanette Goldstein telling me all about playing the badass Vasquez in Aliens, or a whole episode dedicated to various passengers on the bus from the movie Speed, just visit Stitcher Premium or Howl.fm. Thank you for listening, and on with the show. The film, Rebel Without a Cause. The year, 1955. The role, Moose. The actor, Jack Greenwich. Hi, everyone. Hello. I'm Maria Blasucci. And I'm Amanda Lund. And we're filling in for Matt Corley. Yes, we are proud and honored that he entrusted us with his, with one episode of his brilliant podcast, I Was There Too. And um, you may know us from um, Pistol Shrimps Radio. Um, you may know us from Ghost Girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's see. <laughs> uh, oh, you may have um, listened to The Complete Woman mm-hmm. or Complete Joy. You may have uh, seen Mascots or you may have seen Goosebumps. You may have. <laughs> uh, we've also... Made vocal appearances on the Super Ego mm-hmm. podcast. Um, so that's a, that's, yeah. Also, Matt Gorley is my companion <laughs> and life partner. <laughs> yeah. So. so we're very happy to be here. And we have a very special guest today. Yes. He uh, was wonderful as a guest star on Ghost Girls. He was in the retirement home, home episode where he played Wally. A, a budding geologist. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, which was a really great and sweet character. And actually, I think it was not, it was kind of similar to some of the characters he's played in the famous movies we're going to talk to him about today. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the same character, even. <laughs> All grown up. <laughs> so please join us in welcoming Jack Greenwich. 
Good morning. Good morning. morning. Now, Jack is a Hollywood legend here with us today because he was in. He was. (laughs) He is. I couldn't believe it. You were in two of the biggest movies of the 50s and 50s. Um, Yes, I wrote it down. The year it came out, I think, was... 1953 or 4? 55. 55. Was what my information. Uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Yes. And in 1958 was, or 7, was King Creole with... King Creole with Elvis Presley. With Elvis Presley. Yes. Um, So that's exciting. (laughs) I have to say Rebel Without a Cause was a movie I thought I had seen, but then when I rewatched it, for this interview, I realized, oh, I've never seen this. I was just only familiar with some of, like, the super iconic scenes. But I was kind of, like, blown away by how sad that movie is. <laughs> well, it's interesting, you know, when people find out that I was in the movie, whatever, I played the character of Moose, um, they go, oh, I've heard of that. I don't think I've ever seen it, you know. And then every once in a while it's on Turner Classic Movies Uh or CNN's going to do something on the Rebel Kings, uh, I think in September or November, on on why he became such a big famous star, you know, with only three movies. Right. And he died—and James Dean, didn't he—Amanda was saying he died before the premiere of Rebel Without a Cause. Is that true? He just finished Giant, mm-hmm. but he hadn't done some. There's some voiceovers that he had to do that Nick Adams filled in for the when he's old at the banquet scene. Um, now I remember going to a premiere or a preview in Westwood for Rebel Without a Cause, and Jimmy was there, okay. so he did see it. You know, so. right. So let's just go from the beginning. So how did you get so so you play Moose, who's one of the gang members in Buzz's, but but uh, but but, yes, but, but in Buzz's Buzz. in Buzz's gang, and your Dennis Hopper is also one of the members of the gang. Correct, correct. And um, so how did you get that role? Well, it's interesting. Um, at the time, I was up. I was supposed to do another movie. Uh, oh, this a Forbidden Planet. Oh. I'd even had a wardrobe fitting, and. The interviews for Rebel Without a Cause came up, and I remember going up uh, stairs. Uh, Hoyt Bowers was the casting man, and they said, go upstairs. And my agent started to go with me, and, and he said, Isabel, you stay here. <gasps> <laughs> so when I went up, I met David Weisbar and Nick Ray. And, you know, the, they asked you all sorts of questions. You know, how old are you? You know, of course I lied. You know, <laughs> then in those days you could lie. Right. Yeah. They couldn't figure so, it out. So you lied about your age? Oh, I lied. I was 24, you know. You were. I and you were tw- playing what, 17? 17, 18. And they said, how old are you? And I thought, I don't want to have to have a teacher on the set. <laughs> so I said I was 21. And they said, do you think you can play a 17-year-old? And I said, well, I don't really even believe I'm 21. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're you know, really 24. Yeah, because <laughs> funny things happen, you know. You feel like, gee, I'm a really an adult, and I did really well on this interview, and I looked down, and I had two different socks on. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's probably and I, Yeah, and I started endearing. to leave, and I opened the door to the closet, you know, oh. to leave, you know. <laughs> but there were several other interviews after that, you know. Uh, and so you're saying interviews, like, you didn't have to audition reading lines? Uh, that was later on. Uh, there was a soundstage that burned down at Warner Brothers, so they called. There must have been 30 people up for all the roles, and we just sat on the cement, and then and, and Nick Ray gave us a script and said, read it. Fortunately, that day, you know, some days you're really there. The line sort of jumped off the page at me. Uh-huh. I was the first one to read the character of Goon, and it was supposed to be in a drive-in, and Goon was on drugs and was just flipping out. And what happened after that, since I'd gone first, everyone tried to copy me. Oh, no. You know, and I think that's what you do instinctively if you hear somebody else read. You, you just go for that. Then there were... There were other interviews, finally a screen test with Jimmy and some other people. And then they said, okay, you know, we book you, you know. That, and, what and was I, that I, feeling like? It was really wonderful. I was driving down the freeway. I had an old Ford. <laughs> and I remember the hood flew up on the freeway. And I thought, oh, no, not now. <laughs> <laughs> so had you been um, 
Had you worked a lot before doing Rebel? And if so, like what sorts of projects and characters were you playing? Well, the first thing I did was meet Corliss Archer. I played a traveling salesman, you know. On, that was my first television show that I did. Uh-huh. And um, the director, um, God, what was his name? Wonderful man. After that, used me and used me and used me. on Every time there was a young man, of course, I was young then. Uh, and then I did two films one was Interrupted Melody with Eleanor Parker. Um, she played an Australian um, opera singer who was paralyzed, and it was a true story. And I'm in the hospital. I'm paralyzed, but I play for her while she sings. Mm. You know. And then a movie called uh, Lady Godiva of Coventry with Marina Hara, uh-huh. and I got to kiss her hand. Oh, <laughs> my. So on, so what was the set of Rebel like? Cause you had some Hollywood icons there. You had James Dean, Natalie Wood, um, Dennis Hopper. I mean, what was the? Did you guys all were you guys all friends with one another? Uh, Beverly Long and I were friends. We'd gone to college together and done plays at City College. Was that the girl who plays your girlfriend? Um, the that, little, or? the blonde with the yeah. blonde ponytail. Yeah, yeah. And I had an interview for Rebel. And I thought, Beverly would be great for this movie. So I, I went to school, and, and she'd gone back to San Diego. And I called her in San Diego, and I said, there's a movie here that you should be in, that you should be up for, you know. And she, I said, come back, you know. So she came back, and she called her agent. He said, oh, they've seen every girl in town. You know, unless they don't like them, they're not going to see you. Right. And all of a sudden, there's Beverly. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She must have been grateful to you. Yeah. I wish so, I had a friend who'd do that for me. Oh, well, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> no one's taken the bait. But, you know, it had to be other other aspects that got her the role, you know. Really. Yeah, yeah. And was she your age as well? I th- she's a little younger. She's gone now, you know. Mm. But she was a little younger than me. I think Jimmy and I were the oldest. We are 24 at the time, you know. Maybe Nick Adams was older too, you know. But everyone, everybody just passed away last year, really. Oh, oh man. So I had heard that um, Crunch was actually in a real gang when he was in high school and that he kind of instructed you guys on what that was really like. Is that true? <laughs> we got a coy shrug. <laughs> well, we were all in gangs in high school. I mean, I'm sure you were too, but we didn't call them gangs. We called them clubs. Okay. okay, but were you jumping people and playing chicken? <laughs> no, no. I almost got kicked out of high school because I was at a party where people were smoking pot. But then they called it, what did they call it then? Weed, I guess, or, uh-huh. or marijuana, you know. Uh, that's the only incident that I know of, you know. Um, I ran into a girl who went to high school with, with uh, Frank Mazzola, and she said, we were in clubs, not gangs, you know, so... Who knows, really? You know, <laughs> and those, those are good stories. Yeah, and they're good publicity. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what it was, huh? Yeah. So, um, what was what was James Dean like? What was he seen? He seems uh, like a tortured guy, but maybe really nice. He was really nice in the <laughs> beginning what? of the film. He stayed away from us, as for the character he should have, you know. Right. And as as the film went on and we got warmed up, we got to be more friendly. I remember I always said, good morning, Jimmy, you know, and he never <laughs> said good morning to him. I thought, well, I'm not going to say good morning to him anymore. Right. And one morning I walked in and he said, good morning, Jack Greenwich. Oh, <laughs> wow. That must have felt good. I feel like that's a real power move yeah, when you kind of ignore power. someone, but then you reveal that you actually yeah. know their first and last name. Yeah. You yeah. know, it makes you feel special. Yeah, that that would have made me melt, honestly. So, but at this point, was he as uh, like was he at his heartthrob status by the time he was doing? Rebel? No, 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 no. He'd done East of Eden, which I think he was brilliant in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a brilliant film. Uh, they they talk about Rebel Without a Cause, but I think it, it really East of Eden was the. I know after we. Realized we were going to do the role of Beverly and I. We went to see East of Eden and we're bowled over by the performance. It was just unbelievable, you know. What he does with Raymond Massey in the scene where uh, I, I think he's put the stuff on a freezer train and it's rotted or something, you know, and he's, he's trying to love, show his father how much love he has. 
And there's two styles of acting that you see with Raymond Massey and Jimmy Dean where I have heard that Raymond Massey was so pulled back by the emotion that Jimmy gave to him that he was just stunned, you know. Wow. So it's 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 interesting as films go on and you see different forms of it. I know I'm sure you're watching television now. We uh-huh. were just talking about how people mug so much in the sitcoms in the early days. Yeah, know? I was watching with Matt actually we were watching Bewitched and I just noticed half of probably more like eighty five percent of the acting is eyebrow work. And making goofy faces to the camera. <laughs> but you don't see that in in the dramas, like Rebel Without a Cause. I mean, the acting is so incredible from everyone, even the characters. I feel like they're more yeah. flushed out and, like, more evolved than anything you would see today. But, I mean, I so James Dean was kind of like a method actor, right? Oh, he went to... He went to uh, uh Stella Adler, was it? Uh, Not Stella Adler, uh, uh, that's a school in New York. The, uh, the New Strasburg school? or? No, uh, uh. not Sandy Meisner. Um, um, mm. Marilyn Monroe also went there. Uh, um, she went with uh, the, Stra- the Lee Strasberg. Yes, Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg, you know. Um, so and the, he did a Broadway play ah. called The Immoralist, you know, and got the. I think it was the Drama Critics Award or something, you know. He, was he short? He seemed He was my sh- size. We were the same size. As a matter of fact, in some of the scenes when he's left, it's my shoulder in the, uh, in the <laughs> over. over <laughs> really? The, yeah, or my hand patting uh, uh, Salmini on the head, you know. Wait, did you get to wear the red leather jacket? No, no. I wore the brown sport coat. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. And so as far as like when you were filming the group scenes with the rest of the gang members, um, was that kind of like a loose, goofy, improv environment or was everyone pretty serious? No, it was totally scripted. We did one scene one day that took most of the day where we improv and it was so bad they couldn't use it. <laughs> really? What yeah. was that scene? It was at the, uh, at the uh, observatory Figuring on what we're going to do to Jimmy Dean's character. Uh-huh. You know, in the rumble or whatever. Right. But your character, Moose, was he's like the sweet gang member. I'm the one that says, do we really have to do this? <laughs> sort of whiny, you know. But it's interesting. The credits are wrong. Why? Well, when I went in to sign my contract, uh, I, I looked at the contract and it said, Chick. And I said to the casting person, oh, my character is Moose. You know, it's not Chick. And she said, oh, just sign it. Oh, my God. Wait, so you're credited as uh, Chick? I'm, I'm credited as Chick and Nick Adams as Moose. Oh. oh. But in the film, Frank Mazzola, who plays uh, Crunch, calls me Moose. So, Yeah. And you get those cars. So you're the one – so you're the character who gets the cars for the chick you run. Yeah. And you yeah. call James Dean and Buzz over to look at the cars. And so really you're responsible for Buzz's death. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and that was an interesting scene because for the two cars, we were on the Warner Ranch. And there was a tiny little hill. Not a big hill. And uh, they had dug trenches in the ground for the cars to go straight ahead. And the cars were up on ramps. So Mushy Callahan doubled Jimmy as the jump out of the car. And the cars went down the ramps. Uh, the cars went over. One car got stuck, didn't go over the cliff. And we, we ran to the cliff. And then we stopped acting. And Nick said, keep acting, keep acting. <laughs> like it had gone over. And... So we finished that, and I don't know how they finally did the other car going over the edge. It looks, if you really watch it and sort of stop frame through the thing, it looks like it might be arted in, the other car, Mm. seeing the other car underneath. And then the rest of the stuff was done on a soundstage, soundstage 7 or 21 at Warner Brothers, you know, all the close-ups and whatever. And that, um, so you're in one of the most famous scenes ever in all of film history, which is the Griffith Observatory. See, I mean, that's like an iconic uh, set piece, kind of. Is And the Griffith Observatory now has a James Dean bust on um, Oh, yeah, on I have it. a picture of the bust. Oh, you do? Yeah, I brought some pictures for you to see if you want. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And we Maybe can we... even put them up on the... There's a website that yeah. people can then see the, some of the photos. So what was it like filming up at the observatory? Did you... Well, it was really fun, you know, and... We'd filmed two weeks, I think, in black and white. 
mm-hmm. because all of a sudden they realize that, hmm, I think there's a legal thing that you can't do cinemascope in black and white. I don't know exactly what it is, but we switched to color, uh, Technicolor or Warner Color, I guess. And then they all they had to change all our wardrobe and makeup and stuff like that, and we started all over again. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So we worked nine weeks on the film, which was wonderful. (laughs) Beverly and I went down to Music City and bought our first television sets. Oh, that's great. That is so sweet. (laughs) That is great. And you're sitting next to James Dean in the planetarium scene when he's doing his, uh, when you guys are looking up at the end of the world thing. How was, what was that like to film? That's the whole moose thing, isn't it? Yeah, the moose. They go moose. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. We we had a um, an interview at the uh, museum. I think the the Writers Guild uh, uh, put it together where we were all up on stage. And Stuart Stern, who was the writer, talked about the moo thing with Jimmy, building the character of Jimmy Dean for Rebel Without a Cause. He worked really well with Nick Ray and Stuart Stern, and they built the things for the best things that he did Mm -hmm. and all his little idiosyncrasies. Mm -hmm. So I've heard that other films, directors had difficulties with him. On Rebel, there was no difficulty. Was that because he was kind of um, had some more control and was able to call more shots on set? He knew exactly how the film was going because it had been written for him, Mm -hmm. written exactly for him and what is good for him to do. It's like, I mean, years ago, I don't know if you remember Douglas Fairbanks Sr., you know. I mean, he was very athletic, but everything was built to the best height that he jumped or the best thing that he could do, you know, athletically. So he looked like he was this wonderful person, you know. Right. This so, played to his strengths. Yeah. yeah. And so they built, they built Rebel Without a Cause to his strengths. Right. Natalie Wood, what was she like? There was just the start of her rise to fame, you know. I mean, she was a wonderful actress, and she worked well with Jimmy. She was very malleable. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She could change. She could change it up if yeah. the director wanted yeah, her yeah. to. She knew what she was doing. You know, yeah. She, I remember her in the tests. There was a test where we all went on the back lot, and uh, they told us to bring our cars and park them. So it was going to be like a rumble, you know, whatever. And they there was five boys and Buzz. And they said, I said, well, which boy do you want me to read? They said, oh, just learn all the lines. <laughs> So I said, okay, so we're out there. There must have been, again, 30 people, you know, women and, and, and men. And Buzz, they said, okay, action. And Buzz said his line, and nobody answered. So I said the next, I said the line. And Buzz said his line. Nobody said this line again. And I did all the boys. <laughs> and pretty soon a car pulls up, which we didn't know about. Perry Lopez, Frank, and a couple other guys jumped out, and this other actor grabbed me and said, we're supposed to fight. <laughs> what? So there's a big fight, you know, and some people's cars got dented and some people got hurt. But, you know, and later on I said, I'd love to see that film. They said, there was no film in the camera. What? You know, so that was, those rascals. that was a test. That was a test, yeah. No, Nick, oh, save money. <laughs> <laughs> and Natalie Wood was there? No, she- Natalie wasn't there. I saw her. There, but I didn't see her in the scene, you know. Right. So they never did it over again, and I did all the parts, you know. So the, the fortunate things happened for me, you know, so made me stand out a bit, you know, from the rest of the people. Right. Um, and then what about the knife fight scene? Was that – because today I feel like if you did something like that, it would be so choreographed, like, and so tedious to shoot. Was it like that, filming that? They did it in a, in, a, in a couple hours. You know, Frank said he staged the knife fight scene, but I don't remember uh-huh. any rehearsal on the knife fight at all. Jimmy did get cut, but uh-huh. he did have, a, he did have a, a, a vest underneath so he wouldn't really get cut. It was just a smart little cut on his arm. Uh-huh. But, you know, they blew it up. Again, it's publicity, you know. Mm-hmm. But in any knife scene or any guns, as you know, everything's rubber. Right, right. You know, so these were rubber knives. Rubber knives, yeah. But he still Except got cut. Except for the close-up. 
Oh, he got he got cut on the close up. I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that that yeah. knife fight was so harrowing for me to watch. Just mm-hmm. that would be my worst like nightmare to get just a tiny little stab <laughs> like that. I guess it's better than a deep stab, but I had never seen that before. <laughs> well, it's inter- it's interesting, you know, camera work and stuff. How things look really, really hard and really difficult and dangerous, and sometimes they are, you know. Yeah. That was yeah. I loved that scene though. I mean, I've loved that movie since I was. I had a poster of it in my room growing up. Oh, did you really? Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. So, who was your favorite character? Well, Moose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was Moose. <laughs> um, <laughs> careful, careful. <laughs> um, no, uh, James Dean's character was probably. You were, yeah, you thought he was hot stuff, huh? Yeah, he was hot stuff. I mean, Sal Minio was pretty cool too, but he was he tortured. Yeah, well, was only oh, sixteen. Yeah. Was he, he was, when you shot uh, when yeah, you shot yeah, that? And yeah, what he was, was he like? Did what would what was his personality in real he life? He was really a nice kid, very dedicated, and very well. I mean, he'd been on Broadway. He played, he played uh, the youngest son in uh, the old Brenner thing. Uh, what's the musical about the lady going to King and I? Su- King and I. He played the young son on oh, Broadway wow. with Gertrude Lawrence. You know, mm-hmm. and it, and it was in Subject Was Roses, I think. You know, as a young, so he had some. Theater background, you know, he knew what he was doing, you know. It's unfortunate at that time, the ethnic mix didn't have more really good parts for yeah. him, you know. Well, that was a killer part that he got to play in Rebel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All three of the main stars of that movie, though, all died uh, before their time, really. Yeah. He got—Sal Minio got stabbed, did he not? And Natalie Wood drowned, mm-hmm. and, and James Dean got— Killed in a car accident. Yeah. That's a- Everyone's, I think, I may be the only one left. Of all the gang members? Of the whole film. Wow. Oh, my really? gosh. You know, I may be. I don't, I'm not sure. You know. Yeah. I mean, Buzz and, and Steffi Sidney and Beverly uh, uh, passed away last year. Mm-hmm. Did you keep in touch with them? Yep, we all kept in touch, That's you know. nice. Yeah, especially Beverly and I. As a matter of fact, Beverly became a casting agent for commercials and that's how I got my manager today. It was through Beverly. So Wow. It's sort of payback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, the—if I—this is just more of a broad question. What was uh, craft service like? Craft service? Well, I just— Maria I, has a real interest, obsession with food, uh, free food. And I'm just interested in, like, set life in, you know, the mid-50s. Like, how is it—how did it differ from today's? Well, today I don't work that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess from the Ghost Girl set. <laughs> I don't no, know. No, all had. I remember is if you if you had an early call, there was always breakfast. You know, there was always breakfast for you. Uh, you could get anything during the day if you really wanted it. There were a lot more sweets, you know, then. Yeah. Oh, uh, really? Wag- but like, ho- like candy or homemade sweets? Donuts and stuff like uh, that. Mm-hmm. Wagon Train had an open bar. What? You know? they, yeah. They had a, you could drink on set? Yeah, yeah. On Rebel Without a Cause, we did a 24-hour day, and they they let the crew go. They kept us, and there was a trailer. They got a new crew. There was a trailer that was just filled with any kind of liquor you wanted, you know. Would you partake? No, I wouldn't drink while I'm working, you know. Who but would? I, I guess maybe the crew. I mean, you know, I don't know how it is today. I think there was a, a lot of... Liquor was was a thing that you sort of did as a grown-up in those days. I don't know. I mean, I stopped drinking years ago, so I don't know how people really react to liquor on sets today. I think it's more – I think it's there, but it's more – maybe the crew people would have a beer or something, but I don't don't see it ever. I mean, sweets – the craft tables don't have as much sweets anymore. That's for sure. But that's recent too. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants those veggies. Yeah, nice crudite. <laughs> so people don't get too hyper. Oh, yeah. Or too fat. <laughs> you got to have actress food on set. That's true. A nice uh, Luna bar. Never hurt anybody. Sure. So let's. should we move on to King Creole? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Any, like, stories that we didn't, that you have about um, Rebel that we didn't, that you didn't get to tell or any, you know, final thoughts about that whole experience? I talked about getting the role. Okay. Yeah. I did that. Uh, the knife fight, uh, the 24-hour day. Uh, yeah, we went into golden time. <laughs> oh, what's that mean? You got That means you got a full day's pay for every hour you work. No! 
Oh, oh my God, wow. I've never heard of Golden Time before. Well, maybe they don't have it anymore. Well, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think SAG would be on you pretty hard if everyone would be calling SAG, going, we're, we've been working for 22 hours. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and we got a lot of meal penalties, you know. Mm-hmm. So we made a lot. Of, at the time, we thought we were making a lot of money. I think all the gang got three fifty a week. So was Rebel a big hit when it came out, or was it kind of a slow burn? I think it's been a slow burn, really, because I remember we were all together. The gang was all together going to a party when it came over the radio that Jimmy had been killed. You know, and because we all thought, oh, this is really going to do something for our careers, you know. And we thought, oh, now, of course, very selfishly, (laughs) what's going to happen, you know. But then it came out and... That's too bad. And do you think it, um, being in Rebel Without a Cause, did it open a lot of doors for you career-wise? I don't know whether it really did or not. I, I was working a bit. I changed agents at the time and got a really wonderful – I mean, I had a good agent before, but then I somebody said, oh, you have to change. You can't stay with her anymore, you know. So I got this other agent who I found – and I'm just realizing now how important he was because finally I got to a point I didn't have to go on interviews, you know. You got offers. I just got offers, you wow. know. Wow. And when I went to see him, I thought – Oh, I hope he handles me. And he said, oh, sure. I mean, I was amazed, you know, that he just said yes right away. So I guess it did help. Uh, Looking back, I really don't know, you know. I mean, people now say, you were in that movie, Rebel Without a Cause, you know. Some people that know, and other people go, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Dennis Hopper on set, was he, what was he like? (laughs) (laughs) Dennis was Dennis. Sometimes he'd say four-letter words, and they'd have to cut and redo the scene. Oh, no. You know, you know. Right. And Nick would get mad at him. Nick Ray would get mad at him and say, "Jack, take his line." Oh, really? <laughs> well, there weren't that many lines. Anyway, yeah, you know. but that worked. But Dennis in your was favor. under contract to the studio. Oh. You know, so I never saw Dennis in any of the auditions. Okay. Yeah. I bet I'm, he wanted the James Dean role. Do you think that he was coveting that role secretly? No, I don't think so. I don't think he was at that point. He'd mm-hmm. just done a medic, which got him the contract at Warner Brothers. I remember going to um, Dennis's dressing room after one of the shoots one one day with Natalie and, and Nick Adams, you know. And Natalie had, had gone to the bathroom, and they were both talking about her, and they said, I'm going to hold on to her bra strap. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Meaning... For their careers. Oh. <laughs> it's the female version of the bootstrap. Oh. <laughs> she seems like a sweetheart, though. She was, but she really knew what she was doing. She know. was there for was she, she was there to work. dating the director? Well, supposedly that's the story, you know. I mean, our first day out at the uh, planetarium, uh, Nick says to her, what do you have on? She said, oh, they patted me. They patted her <gasps> hips and busts. <laughs> and he said, take it off. The wardrobe people went crazy because the things just really didn't fit then. And at that point, I thought. How would he have yeah. known? Yeah. Oh. So that's the only inkling I have, you oh, know. I love that's that. That's the story, you know. I do love her outfit in that film, the pink little um, polo shirt. Oh, uh-huh. that's yeah. so cute. Yeah, I, I like it in the beginning when she's all in red and she's supposed to be kind of dressed sexy, but it's like the most conservative outfit. It's just <laughs> red. I was sitting in Nick Ray's <laughs> office when Moss, I think with Moss Mabry was the wardrobe, was the wardrobe man came up and, and she was in that dress to show Nick the dress. And he said, the fur collar, that's from an old Betty Davis coat. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's cool. God. And Beverly's skirt, they said Beverly's skirt was an old Betty Davis's throw-off. <laughs> <laughs> hand-me-downs. <laughs> Betty Davis hand-me-downs. We should so all be anyway, so lucky. silly things. Yeah. I love that. I, like I know. The I love the stories. About the padding. <laughs> <laughs> you wish someone would go, what do you have on? You'd go, this is padding. just me. <laughs> I have my jeans padded. <laughs> Um, so, well, yeah, she was she was sixteen. You know, oh my maybe gosh. there weren't many hips there. I think it was just the that was the the, period. the silhouette that mm. everyone wanted was was that. Yeah. Now speaking of silhouettes, that banana dancer in King Creole. The what? The banana dancer. 
in the, King Creole when she does oh. that banana dance. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Well, oh. Amanda's obsessed. Well, with I it. just watched it this morning. So I there's one part where um, there's a woman doing a cabaret at the bar and she's singing the song about bananas, but she's in this amazing banana costume. It's like a little banana dress, but it has real bananas hanging off of it. And when she does a little hip movement, she detaches one and throws it into the audience. And there's like a whistle I, that goes. I wonder if that you know Josephine Baker. <laughs> Uh Do you know who Josephine Baker was? No. She was a black singer in the 20s and 30s who who went to Paris and became so famous. But that was her thing, a banana costume. Really? I have to have one. So I wonder if they used that for the girl. I don't remember that. Maybe it was the inspiration. But yeah, yeah, why don't we transition in to talk about um, Elvis. Yeah, you working with the king. So you had a very endearing, beautiful role in King Creole where you play dummy and uh, you're in a gang of, of bad boys that's kind of connected to this mob in New Orleans. But you, you're the one with the heart of gold, but you also have a speech impediment where you can't, you can't talk properly. And Elvis is, uh, you know, you're the boss of your gang brings Elvis into the gang and is like, hey, you help us turn you know tricks or whatever and then and then uh the 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 gang boss doesn't give you your fair cut and elvis you know gives you what you're rightly deserved and then in the end you save his life that sounds accurate to me (laughs) did she get it right should i speak because i was playing a dummy (laughs) a non-hearing i shouldn't say that a non-hearing person so you were yeah Oh, I thought you, you thought was, he just had a speech impediment. Was, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So, how was that when you auditioned for that? Did you or was that an offer? No, 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 no. I had to audition. It's interesting because I had two auditions that day: <clears throat> one for the Paramount picture uh, with Hal Wallace, and another for a television show. And I thought I'm going to get the television show, you know. And <clears throat> I was waiting, waiting outside of Hal Wallace's office, and it was like. Like a hospital room, you know, all mm-hmm. sort of gray colored. And they said, okay, Mr. Wallace, we'll see you now. And this door opened that went up like 10 feet. I w- opened, went in the room. It was like thousands of books, thousands of awards. And at the end, of a block away was Hal Wallace sitting at his desk. Wow. I was so overwhelmed. And there was uh, Michael Curtiz and the associate producer. And I can't remember his name now at the end of the desk, and they interviewed me. I could not utter a word. Fortunately, it was for <laughs> the part of a non-speaking person. Wow, you that's know. incredible. And this and was after- on Paramount? This, this, this was-, was at Paramount, yeah. And afterwards, the associate, gosh, what was his name? Anyway, afterwards, the uh, associate producer said, you have the worst interview personality of any <laughs> actor I've ever met. Oh, and my I God. Said, but I did get the role. <laughs> That's great. So did you film in New Orleans or you filmed all your stuff out no, here? No, we filmed. We went to New Orleans, mm-hmm. you know, to do the filming. Um, I had asked uh, before we left if the fight with Walter Matthau, if I would have a double for the fight at the end of the scene. And they said yes. And it got to that day and they said, OK, we're going to do that scene now. And I said, oh, do I have a double? And they said, no. I said, does Walter have a double? They said, yes. And they said, okay. Um, I said, this is my last shot of the film. I said, you know, if if I get hurt, you know, I may never work again. And I didn't know what to do. And I thought, good Lord, you know, if I don't do it, I'll probably never work in Hollywood again. And and Elvis, I got aside with Elvis and I said, you know, I really don't know what to do If if I don't do it. You know, I'll probably never work again. And he said, if you do do it, you may get hurt. Right. So we were in a little little shack out in the, in the bay, and there was this long walkway. And I walked off the set and went, and I didn't have a dressing room. I sat in the limousine. And finally they came and got, came to me and said, can we have your clothes? They didn't even have double clothes. <gasps> oh. And so one of the crew did the fall. And then they said, will you get in the water? And I said, of course I'll get in the water, you know. And uh, and so, the scene the scene is that you and Walter Matthau get in a scuffle over a, a gun and then you both fall off a pier into yeah, the water. Yeah, it's a ten foot fall. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And I didn't know what was in the water. Maybe if it hadn't been my last shot of the film, I might have done it. You know. Right. Uh, but I did ask before. But you should ask your agent 
to see if you're going to have a double, mm-hmm. not the assistant director. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you learn things, you know, as you go on. So were they mad at you? I don't know if they were mad or not. You know, uh, Colonel Parker was on the set and said, I'll give the kid some more money. He'll do it. <laughs> Would you have? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's, no. That, so you, you met Colonel Parker, who was Elvis's caretaker. He was on the set every caretaker. day playing poker. What was he – did you see – did you get bad news vibes from him or did you – He was just there and, and Elvis's uh, entourage, you know. Right. A little intimidated by the entourage, you know. But Elvis seemed – Well, he, one day when we were doing one of the first scenes in the um, dime store where we robbed the dime store, um, we had, there was a lull on the set. He got his guitar out and played and sang gospel Aww, songs, you know, that's nice. which was re- it's really memorable and nice. You that know. is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the woman, the um, woman who plays his love interest is now a nun. Isn't that yeah, yeah. right? Mother, really? Dolores Mother Hart. Tr- Mother Teresa. Mother Dolores. Dolores Hart. Dolores Hart. She, is she still living? Yeah. Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. She, she became a nun like a year after that. Really? Yeah. I could yeah. see myself doing that. <laughs> after you get to work with all this, just going, I give it, I give it all up. Yeah, Jan Shepard, who played, um, Den- oh, not Jimmy, um, Elvis's sister. Oh, um, yeah. Got, got to know Jimmy quite well and to know um, Mother, Teresa, Mother Dolores quite well and we did. Uh, we were asked to come back to um, what is his place in? Oh, Graceland. Graceland. Yeah, we were asked to come back to Graceland and and do an interview and talk to people and stuff. It was really interesting because Mother Dolores interviewed us on a screen. You know, she did it. She did. They did a film thing of her, and then she introduced us, and we came through the screen. Onto the stage, which was sort of fun. <laughs> so had you – okay, so this was after – when did when did you first go to Graceland? Oh, gosh, this was a couple years ago. Oh, okay. So you did Elvis ever say, hey, come on down to Graceland with me? I didn't get the message. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get a – I did get Christmas cards every year from him. You That's did? so great. Yeah. What were the Christmas cards like? I mean, they were, they were signed, you know, but it uh-huh. just said Merry Christmas and whatever, you know. I think I saved one. I don't know if I have any of the rest of them. So it seemed to me that um, that most of the Elvis movies I've seen or heard of seemed like more kind of fluffy, you know. And this one, it felt like they were almost trying to make him a James Dean type. Yeah. Character. Well, he was very interested in James Dean. He did ask yeah. me working how it was working with James. He Dean. did. And, and what do you say about working with another actor? You know, you just he knows his lines. He's uh-huh. dedicated. He's concentrating. You know, he knows what he's doing. You know. Was Elvis a dedicated actor? Yeah, yeah. Always knew his lines. There was no problem. I never saw him out of makeup. Really? And yeah. was he wearing a lot of makeup when you saw him? Just, well, you did wear more makeup then, right. you know. And his hair was always dyed black, you know. I think after that movie, he did a movie where he played twins, and his hair was dyed black, and it stayed black after that, you know. Yeah. I know when we were in New Orleans, we were going out. We were going out to the set one day, and we're sitting in the limousine. And he said, do you want to see something? I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and he rolled down the window. There's thousands of girls, thousands of really? girls around. And he yelled out and said, hi there, how are you? It's Elvis here. <laughs> they screamed and started running towards the car, and he said to the driver, drive, drive. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a lot of girls being like, hey, can you introduce me to your pals, Elvis and Jimmy? No. <laughs> no one came up to me. No one was interested. Oh, oh poor Moose. <laughs> <laughs> poor dummy. Yeah. Poor dummy and Moose. Did you feel like, did you see kind of the parallels between those two characters in a way? Um, dummy and Moose, or for you, were they very different characters? Well, I wore the same jacket in both films. Did you? Do you it was still my, have it? My jacket. No, it got ruined when I fell in the water. Oh. No. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't yeah. have done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? Today you save everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Was uh, Now, this was before. It's crazy to me that the colonel was on set because the, the colonel is kind of what made Elvis go down. He was like a very bad influence He on was Elvis. an enabler or— well, didn't, yeah. didn't he take—I I yeah, don't he really t- know, 50 percent of— he, uh, he, Yeah, he basically ruined Elvis's life. And I'm, my boyfriend's a big Elvis fan, and he said that he uh, Elvis was on methamphetamines at the time of filming uh, 
uh, King Creole. King Creole. Really? Oh, really? That's what. Because that's just before he went in the army. Right. Would, did, did you ever see anything? Did you ever see, or did you see him and the colonel have like a strange relationship no. in any way? It just no. seemed very normal, like he was like a manager of some sort, or he was always there. But I never heard any. The only, oh, as I told you, the only thing I heard was pay the kids some more money. <laughs> <laughs> so he was looking out for you. <laughs> Wow, that's, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, thinking back on it and you being in these situations with, you know, and being part of these Hollywood, historic, historical Hollywood moments is just, you know, that's so awesome. Does it seem cool to it's you? It's just as awesome as <laughs> doing, the, doing the film with the ghost girls. Oh. It's just as much yeah. fun, you know. I mean, you were wonderful. You really were. Oh. You know, I'm so proud of you both doing something for your careers. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know? Well, no one else is doing it. Well, so, yeah. I mean, I, I just waited for. I I didn't do anything to prom. I did take ads out when I was on television and television shows in the trade papers and stuff like that. I did have a uh, a publicity manager, you know, um, and I I he got five percent of my salaries when I worked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I did things like that, but to build your own show, I think, is just brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're really proud of Ghost Girls. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, check it out. You can go to Vimeo and uh, watch it there. And the retirement home episode is great, where you can see Jack. Yeah. Um, And so you mentioned earlier before we started the interview that um, there was you felt like there was more work back in the. 50s and 60s and well television had just started I don't think they knew what was doing there were tons of westerns oh yeah and there'd be one star you know I think Wagon Train had four principals but then they had these stories that they hired you know so many people it was just why did four Wagon Trains you know and in those days you could do the show more than once. I mean, I, I had an interview a couple of months ago and the casting person, and there was this list, you know, on the list, and I said, how many people are you seeing for this role? And she said, honey, I have to see 30 people, you know. And I said, and you can't be on the show once you've been on it. Right. And then being, because I know back then that was when the studio system had the contracts. Um, was that like a dream of yours back then being like, oh, if I make a good impression, maybe they'll contract me? I never thought of it, really. It never entered my head. And I, Dennis, I think, was the only person under contract. Mm-hmm. Natalie wasn't under contract when she started the picture or either that was put together when she got the role. Right. Because there were so many girls up for the role, you know. I read about a couple of them. Jane um, Mansfield. Yeah, I read about that. I did a little research this yeah. morning. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Margaret O'Brien. Right. He said her answers to his, the director said her answers to his questions were too pat. What does that mean? I think it means too, like, pre-rehearsed, mm. was my impression. And you did a Twilight Zone episode. Yes, I did with Shelley Berman. Wow. That's cool. Did you get to meet uh, Rod uh, No, you, you know, it's Sterling. interesting. Sterling. <clears throat> you never meet Rod Sterling. I mean, Rod Sterling was so tiny. He was a very small <laughs> person. But you never see him with anybody else, so you have no idea how big he is. Right. That's why he's always alone on the <laughs> yeah. screen, so yeah, he can yeah. look as big as he wants. But no, yeah. I, was very, I was doing a play in Hollywood at the time, you know, and, and they were running late, and I, I did make it to the theater, you know, but it made me a little nervous. But it was an interesting job because I played Shelley when he was talking to himself, so he had somebody to talk to off camera. We did that with the uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel. We played the chip. We because the 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 Chipmunks are animated. Uh-huh. We would stand off to the side of the set, and they'd be talking to a tennis ball, but we'd be talking as the the Chipmunks. It was a great experience. So yeah, we. <laughs> so yeah, that was a fun job, you know. But Shelley would say, "I wouldn't read the line like that." They said, "No, Shelley, it doesn't matter because you're going to read the line." <laughs> That's hilarious. And Spartacus. Ah, Spartacus. Yes, my scene with Charles Lawton, begging for my mother to be not thrown to the lions. Oh, geez, because she'd stolen some bread. And what? Okay, so let's talk about Stanley Kubrick really quickly. Just impressions. Impressions. <laughs> Never said a word to me, you know? <laughs> really? You say your line, you know? Right. Okay, fine, cut, you know? 
What was the set? Where, where did you guys film that? Universal Studios. And what was the set? Because that's like one of, that's the iconic um, Roman kind of the big set. And the, well, it's know. interesting because the sets that I was on, there was all forced perspective. So it's, you'd see these sets, but what, say they'd be uh, wounded lying on the, on the field. Mm-hmm. They got the people got smaller and smaller, and finally they were little people, or or they'd be dolls way off in the distance, Whoa, you know, that wow. somebody be underneath moving them, you know. Wow, wait, yeah. like real little people? Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, because they yeah. wouldn't be that far away; they would just be pretending yeah. that they were that. Yeah, yeah. So it's forced. It was really brilliant. Wow, it sounds like something Rod that Sterling is, would do. That blows my mind. That well, they, the scene in wow. in Gone with the Wind, right. The scene in the where all the the wounded are lying on the uh-huh. field. I think there's a lot of more dummies or people next to the dummies moving the dummy. You know, I gotta look. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it's, you know the brilliance of Hollywood. You know, mm-hmm. it's just. Bef- I mean, now with green screens, you can do anything. You know, but it doesn't look then as good. You, no, it doesn't interest me as much Mm-mm. as 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 it did with the other thing. Yeah, but yeah, one day I was sitting on the set. I sat on the set a lot. And there were no chairs for me. <laughs> and I just sat in this chair, and then I heard this voice, young man, that is my chair. Yes, Mr. Olivier. Oh, oh my God. He did not sit in his chair. <laughs> oh, my God. Of all the people to sit in the chair. But anyway, of- the scene was cut, you know. Oh, go, you're seen in Spartacus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. John Gavin and uh, Charles Lawton. Does it exist anywhere that you have? I don't know. No, yeah. They said they, they, when they did a re-release, I thought maybe it's there, but probably not. Or can you find yourself anywhere in the movie, like in the I'm background? I'm on the credits. <laughs> you're in the credits. Oh, you're going to be somewhere. Yeah. So I still get a residual from it. Well, that's shows. nice. Yeah. That's well, hilarious. Really? Spartacus, one cent. <laughs> I've been getting oh, a lot of me. one cent. I've been getting a lot of one cent, cent checks. Do you still get residuals from Rebel? No, um... I think it was like two years ago, I got a foreign residual for $17. Wow. But nobody else did. That's great. What did you spend it on? Did you invest it? No, those, the little ones I just sent to the Actors Fund, which I think is a good idea. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Not us. (laughs) Right to the bank. My 15 cents go right to the bank. New pair of shoes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, I'm just, Beaming with excitement. You've really uh, created stories in my head that I'll be thinking about for days to come. What stories? Uh oh. <laughs> no, no, no. Just these old Hollywood, just uh, little uh, stories. It's well, it's interesting. Fun. A friend of mine and I are developing a thing called uh, Address Hollywood. And it's about the stars on Hollywood Boulevard walking down. If someone walking down the street on Hollywood Boulevard pointing out, I mean, somebody knows who Elvis Presley is. Somebody knows who Liberace is. But everybody knows who Hattie McDaniel Daniel is uh-huh. or to know who, oh, God, what is his name? He was our assistant director. Uh, he was a big star in, in the silent films, a Spanish star. And he was our assistant director on Rebel Without a Car. Oh, wow. Uh, Don Alvarado, who was Don pa- Don Page, his screen name was Don Alvarado, and he was the best friend of Jack Warner. Oh, who Jack Warner, head of Warner Brothers, married Don Page's wife, and adopted Don Page's daughter, and Don Page had a permanent job at Warner Brothers. <laughs> And Don Page's wife, who became Jack Warner's daughter, plays in Casablanca. She's the the man and wife that are trying to get out with uh, Helmut Dantine. That's that's dumb. Anyway, a really nice man who had this great career. But, you know, there's thousands of us around. Mm-hmm. Who I, I met a girl just over the weekend. And she has a tobacconist shop in Beverly Hills. She was Wendy on Broadway. Really? In, really? In, in, in uh, Peter, Peter Pan. Pan. Wow. Yeah. I know. It's just there's all there's so many people that are out there that have all these stories to tell. I know. Wonderful stories. You that's know. what this whole show is about, really. Yeah, it I is mean, true. They should, um, we should have Matt get in touch with you because he would love to talk to a lot of these people. 
Well, Jackie oh, yeah. Joseph is a dear friend of mine. She was the original Audrey in uh, oh, that that bur- that plant that ate people. Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Wow. She'd do it. <laughs> That's a good thing about actors. They they'll they know. It. Yeah, they'll do anything. And she did a series with Doris Day. Wow. Yeah. It's such a fun, rich world to talk about Hollywood in the '60s. It it sounds like it's not that different from today, but in my head, it is like so glamorous. Well, I think it's because of the colors we see or don't see when we look back in time. We're like, oh, look at how gauzy it looked back then, or whatever. But it's like, no, it looked like this, right? But it was, it it was, re- you know what I mean? Like we think of the '50s as being like certain colors, even certain- behind the scenes, it looked like yeah. to us. To well, us. Looks- a dear friend of mine was a makeup man. Um, uh, he was the head of makeup at RKO. He invented all that rubber application oh, wow. stuff, uh, Maurice Siderman. <clears throat> and when he was head of, at RKO, he said person, someone was put under contract. They were brought into a small room with the head of wardrobe, the head of casting, the head of publicity, and they decided what they're going to do to develop this particular person. Really? You know, do we do this, do we do that? He said, like Joan Fontaine, he said, she had no breasts at all. So they had to design things so she looked a little more voluptuous. And you mean like prosthetics, not plastic surgery? Yes. Wow. No. Everything's an illusion. It, it, even back city. then. Well, that scene in, in, in the Judy Garland film uh, where they're trying to make her over for her screen test. Um, oh, what is it? Not uh, James Mason, Judy Garland. uh Anyway, you know. I know two Judy she, Garland movies, Vivi and St. Louis and uh, Wizard of Oz. No, this is, this is later on, when her career started again. And, and, and Barbara Streisand did, remade the film. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you dead really want quiet. on radio is dead yeah, dead, air. Dead well, air. We'll cut that out. We'll, cut it out. We'll, just, we'll, we'll come back in with the answer being like, it's this movie, of course. <laughs> I heard the actresses used to wear a thin gold chain from ear to ear under their neck. Oh, you remember. I worked on Name of the Game. I was dialogue director on Name of the Game. Mm -hmm. Other various jobs that you do to stay in the business. (laughs) And everybody on the film that said they were 30. They were not. They must have been in their late 40s or 30s. But because they were all that old, they could play 30 if everyone's playing 30. Right. Mm -hmm. But they all wanted lifts, and they all wore lifts. Shoes? No, on their faces. Oh. Oh, face? They Wait, like tape? Tape. Uh, my friend, I, was, I became friends with Elsa Lanchester, and she worked on a film with Marlena Dietrich. And she said, Marlena went over to Paramount in the morning to come over to Goldwyn and said she did her own makeup, but they put on nine pairs of lifts. And Elsa ran upstairs and brought me this box and said, these are Marlena Dietrich's lips. Oh, my gosh. And they, they, they're, they're like gauze that paste on the side of your face. It pulls everything up with rubber bands, and then there's fish hooks that hook into the gauze. And then all along the hairline, there's little things pulled up to go to rubber bands oh in the back that holds your face up. And she said they were walking to lunch one day. And Marlena Dietrich was in front of them, and she and Charles were walking down the street. And Charles yelled at her and said, well, you old whore, where are you going? <laughs> and he said Marlena couldn't move. She looked wonderful, but she couldn't move. She sort of turned very slowly, <laughs> turning her head around. <laughs> wow. I wonder, do you think they still use those today? Oh, yeah. It's probably harder with HD and all that, though. You know, oh my God, I'd love to gone. try. I'd love to try. But some. you don't need it. I know. Well, thank you. But I'd still like to try it. Yeah. Well, no, no. I'll we, hook you up with a couple of. You lists. have them. Yeah, dental floss and a safety <laughs> pin. Yeah, but see, you, you glue the, and then you have to wear a wig. You have to wear a wig. Yeah. So it's like today people don't use them. Today people just get facelifts or Botox. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. Mm, okay, well, this has been <laughs> very a great interview. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. really is the stuff I'm fascinated with is 
the lifts? Well, the craft services and the lifts. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. It's been Thank a pleasure. You. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me in and having a little chat. I hope there's not too much airtime, blank airtime. I think only one or two or three little moments, but <laughs> and that's all on our end. That's on us. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jack. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.